This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee Part 2 The Features of the World Round each habitation, hovering, see the cloud and fire appear, for glory and the covering, showing that the Lord is near, thus deriving from their banner, light by night and shade by day, safe they feed upon the manna, which he gives them when they pray. John Newton 4. The World as God's House Suppose we were going to build a house. What would be our first step? Imagine that we bought some land, and then went out and bought some materials. We all came out to the land one day and started putting it together with no prearranged plan. We started nailing boards together, pouring concrete, laying pipes, and all the rest, according to our whims. What kind of building would we erect, if we could get anything up at all? Clearly, something else is needed. A blueprint. We need to go to an architect and have him draw up a blueprint, a model, for us to work from. We also need to come up with a schedule of what is done first and what is done later. Then we can get together and build a house properly. The Bible tells us that man is God's image and workman, taking the raw materials of the world and building civilizations from it. As a worker, man needs a blueprint and a schedule. That is, he needs a worldview and a philosophy of history. In general, these are provided by the scripture. The Bible tells us what to do and how to do it in the transforming power of the Spirit. In terms of a worldview model, however, the Bible shows heaven as a blueprint for earth. Heaven as a model for the earth is presented to us in Genesis 1, the heavenly blueprint. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, says Genesis 1 verse 1. This heaven is the highest or third heaven. In Genesis 1 verse 8, God created the firmament within the earth, and called it heaven. The stars were placed in this firmament, heaven, and birds are said to fly in it. Genesis 1, verse 17, verse 20. Thus, neither the atmospheric heavens nor outer space were established until later in the week, and are actually part of the original earth of Genesis 1, verse 1. The heaven created in Genesis 1, verse 1, then, is the special throne house of God. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Isaiah 66, 1, Psalms 11, verse 4, Matthew 5, verse 34, 23, verse 22, Acts 7, verse 49. It exists, to use the language of science fiction, in another dimension from earth, infinitely near to us, yet also infinitely far away. The Bible shows us quite a lot about heaven. In fact, if we do not understand heaven, We cannot do our work here on earth, for we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we do not know what heaven is like, we cannot imitate it on earth. Thus the Bible frequently opens heaven to give man a view of what it is like. Ezekiel's vision of the divine glory, Ezekiel 1 verse 1, 3 verse 12, 10 verse 1, 11 verse 22, 43 verse 2, are a good place to start, as we shall see. The glory cloud of God is a picture of heaven when it appears as we get a view of heaven. 
It is when heaven is opened that the law of God is revealed. But more than that, the heavenly pattern Moses was shown on Mount Sinai included art, architecture, worship, and indeed all of life. The tabernacle and the temple were both architectural heaven models. Similarly, in the book of Revelation, John is shown how worship is conducted in heaven as a model for earthly worship. Thus, heaven is a model or blueprint for earth, though not in a simplistic sense. After all, the tabernacle and the temple were not identical. There is unity and diversity in man's imitation of heaven. Man is to labor to take the raw material of the earth and remodel it according to the heavenly blueprint. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This explains to us why God would initially create two different environments rather than just one. Man was created to act as God's agent, his son, in the world. Man was going to be given the delightful task of transfiguring the world from glory to glory according to the heavenly model. Glory in Heaven The second verse of the Bible tells us that darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit was also hovering over the surface of the waters. While there is a contest between the dominion of darkness and that of the Spirit here on the first day, there is not a conflict between evil and good. Darkness was not an environment of evil, nor a symbol of sin, at this stage. Rather, the idea is that the Spirit was beginning the work of glorifying the creation. The hovering Spirit manifested the presence of the triune God in creation. It is the Spirit who proceeds eternally from the Father and also from the Son, in two different ways according to the properties of each spirating person. Once the world has been created, it is a spirit who proceeds out of the eternity into time and makes manifest the presence of the other two persons. The Father and the Word send the Spirit into the creation as initial light bearer. Genesis 1 verse 3 records the creation of the cloud of glory, also called Shekinah glory. Let there be light. Light implies transmission from some source with the possibility of shadowing. Moreover, the light was not constant but alternated with darkness for three days before the creation of the sun. Thus, there had to be some local source of this created light, and it was not the sun. As Meredith G. Klein has shown at length, the visible manifestation of God's throne environment in the creation is always the work of the Spirit. Thus, the hovering Spirit in Genesis 1 verse 2 corresponds to the hovering cloud chariot of God elsewhere in the Bible, as in Deuteronomy 32 verse 10 through 11 where the glory of God hovered over Israel in the wilderness. Until God spoke from his throne and said, Let there be light, there was no visible manifestation of glory in connection with the Spirit. When God's glory cloud appears later in the Bible, we find that it consists of such basic heavenly phenomena as light, clouds, lightning, thunder, blue sky, and the like. Here in Genesis 1, verse 2 through 3, is the explanation of this. God first created heaven and then sent his Spirit to hover over the earth. Proceeding from heaven, the Spirit brought the heavenly pattern into the cosmos. With the creation of light, the Spirit manifested God's presence as a cloud of glory. In the design of God, this glory was reproduced in the firmament heavens made on the second day, and then was further reproduced in successive stages on the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God in the special sense that they are a copy of the archetypal glory of God. When men saw the glory cloud, they were seeing heaven, or at least a replica of heaven in the world. As Klein has noted, the glory cloud was indeed the visible realm 
of heaven appearing in a veiled visibility in the midst of earthly creatures. The phenomena of the glory were heavenly phenomena. To see into the cloud was to see into heaven. Genesis 1 explains that the hovering spirit proceeded from heaven to make this glory light appear within the world. In this way, the spirit brought a blueprint with him and began the work of shaping the world after the heavenly model. We pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Genesis 1 gives us the first fulfillment of this principle. As the light shone from the glory cloud of God's heavenly throne environment, that environment began to be reproduced on the earth. God spent one week laying the initial foundations and showing man how to work. Just as man labors to make earth like heaven, so did God. The Firmament Heaven After making light, God created a firmament to separate waters above from waters below. Genesis 1 verse 6 and verse 7, this firmament he called heaven. We now have two heavens, the one the dwelling place of God and the angels made on the first day, and the second created within the original earth as a reminder of the original heaven. The fact that the word heaven is used for the firmament means that the firmament is analogous to the original heaven and thus is symbolic of it. On the fourth day, God placed lights in the firmament heaven to be symbols and to act as clocks. Genesis 1, verse 14 through 18. This means that the sun, moon, and stars are not part of the original heaven, but part of the original earth. The original earth of Genesis 1, verse 1, is now being separated into the globe on which we live on the one hand, and the upper waters and the lights on the other hand. On the fifth day, God created birds to fly on the face of the firmament heaven. Genesis 1, verse 20. What is this firmament heaven? The related verb in the Hebrew means to stretch out, beat out, or flatten out. The idea is of a shell or surface cast over the earth. Now, as a matter of scientific fact, there is no hard shell around the earth, nor do birds fly inside a hard shell. We have here the language of visible appearance, not of scientific investigation. Thus, we need to see the language as pointing to a symbolic structure. The blue sky, firmament, is a symbolic boundary between waters above and waters below. Looking at the sky, we see in an image of heaven. The things found in the sky, stars, birds, symbolize things found in heaven, angels. Ergo, Job 38 verse 7, Revelation 12 verse 4, 18 verse 2, and John 1 verse 32. To paraphrase what Genesis 1 says about the firmament heaven, we can say that God created the appearance of a shell to separate the blue waters above from the blue waters below. This shell symbolizes the boundary between heaven and the heavenly sea, Revelation 4 verse 6, and earth. If we look up at this blue shell, it looks as if the greater light and the lesser light and the stars are fixed in the shell. As we look up, it appears that the birds fly on the face of or in front of the surface of this blue shell. Neither the atmosphere nor outer space, however, but the shell itself is the firmament heaven. Why is this shell called heaven? Because the phenomena that appear in the sky are signs and symbols of things in the original heaven. Clouds remind us of God's glory cloud. Rainbows remind us of the rainbow around his throne. Stars speak of angels. The sun speaks of Christ. The blue speaks of the heavenly sea before the throne, and so forth. 
Psalm 19, verse 1, Daniel 12, verse 3. The firmament is best situated to show heaven to us because it is the symbolic boundary between heaven and earth. It is as if the shell were translucent, and we could see dimly through it into heaven, through a glass darkly. Thus, when Moses and the elders ascended the mountain to eat with God, they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky, heaven itself. Exodus 24, verse 10. The blue sapphire pavement is a firmament which here becomes temporarily transparent enough to enable the elders to see the king of kings. The same picture is given in Ezekiel 1, verse 22 through 26 where the cherubim are positioned just under the firmament to carry out God's will in the world, while God is enthroned above the firmament boundary. What we have seen thus far is that heaven forms model for the earth, socially, artistically, morally, spiritually, and in every other way. The Spirit initiated the task of shaping the earth after the heavenly model, but we have also seen that God set the sky within the earth as a symbol of His highest heaven, the creation of the firmament heaven, visible to man, means in part that man, like the Spirit, will work at shaping the world after the heavenly model. The highest heaven is invisible to us, but the firmament heaven gives us a visible blueprint. The fact that the firmament heaven contains images of heaven, stars, birds, rainbows, is delightful and wonderful, but it does not carry us very far in terms of a descriptive program. It is the Bible, God's Word, that is our primary blueprint. Since heaven is a blueprint, the Bible is a heavenly book. The Bible teaches this in imagery, for we read that the sky is like a scroll, Isaiah 34, verse 4, Revelation 6, verse 14. This relates to the very word firmament, which as we saw, refers to something stretched or beaten out, like a scroll. The primary passage that relates heaven to the Bible as our blueprint is Psalm 19. The first six verses of the psalm had to do with the heavens, which are telling of the glory of God, and the firmament is declaring the work of His hands. Having celebrated the visible revelation of God's glory in the heavens, the psalmist then celebrates the law word of God in verses 7-11. through 11. The relationship is clear. The speech that is poured forth from the heavens is found in the Bible. Thus, in terms of the biblical worldview, the blue sky and all that it contains are to remind us of God, of His Word, and of our wonderful project of heavenizing the earth, seeing God's glory. When Israel came out of Egypt, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron because they did not have anything to eat. Moses and Aaron called the people together and told them that God would provide them heavenly bread, manna, and that in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel, that they turned toward the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Exodus 16, verse 7, verse 10. They had seen this glory before as they marched out of Egypt. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Exodus 13, verse 21 through 22. This was almost certainly only one pillar. During the day, the brightness of the sun hid the fire within, and Israel saw the cloud. At night, the fire shone through the cloud, 
Thus they were given shade by day and warmth at night. This glory cloud settled over Mount Sinai, and there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound. And Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Exodus 19, verse 16, verse 18. The one seated on his throne in the midst of this portable heaven then spoke the Ten Commandments to Israel. Exodus 20. God told Israel to build a house for him, a tent called the tabernacle. Since the glory cloud was God's portable heaven, and thus his house, we expect that the tabernacle to be an architectural replica of the glory cloud of heaven. This is indeed what we find. Once the tabernacle was completed, God moved into it, and his glory cloud filled it, identifying with it. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40, verse 34. Later on in history, God gave blueprints to David for a more permanent house for his name, the temple, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 19. Again, when the temple, a model of God's heavenly house, had been completed, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, 1 Kings 8, verse 10. Still later, when the temple was about to be destroyed, God's glory appeared to Ezekiel in Babylon. God told Ezekiel that he was moving out of the temple and was going to reside in exile with his people. Ezekiel 8 through 11. Ezekiel was granted a vision through the blue firmament into the cloud, and what he saw was a chariot made of four cherubim with wheels, surrounded by a rainbow, God's portable throne. Ezekiel 1, verse 4 through 28. Earlier, Isaiah had had a similar vision of God's heavenly cloud filled throne room. Isaiah 6. Verse 1 through 4. Last but certainly not least, the Apostle John was caught up into the cloud and into heaven itself, where he stood on the firmament and saw the throne of God in all sorts of heavenly phenomena. Revelation 4 through 5. In chapters 12 through 18 of this book, we shall examine these various heaven models in detail because they were also pictures of the world. Remember, heaven is a model for the earth. Each of these symbolic pictures was given to teach the people of the time how they were to live and relate to God. Accompanying each visual blueprint were words from God, verbal blueprints. It was man's task to build the world, carrying it from glory to glory, and making it a fit house for God. God dwells in heaven, but he wants also to dwell on earth, when man has made it ready for him. Heaven is God's throne house, but potentially so is the earth. The blueprint for God's earth house is heaven. Typology The Greek word typos refers to an image impressed onto something else. For instance, wax. It is a word used in scripture for the imprint of God's heavenly pattern on the earth. And thus, it is absolutely fundamental to a biblical worldview. In Acts 7 verse 44, Stephen says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern, type, which he had seen. Similarly, Hebrews 8 verse 5, quoting Exodus 25 verse 40, reminds us that Moses was told, See that you make all things according to the pattern, type, which was shown you on the mountain. As we have seen, there are a succession of such imprints. Each imprint is more glorious than the one before. Solomon's temple was more glorious than the Mosaic tabernacle. Ezekiel's visionary temple, Ezekiel 40 through 48, was more glorious than Solomon's temple. The New Jerusalem is more glorious yet. 
The study of how each of these models is transformed into the next, and the parallels between them, is part of typology. Because all men are made in the image of God, all men bear his imprint. Every man is, thus, in one sense, a type of every other man. More importantly, church leaders are to be types or models for kingdom citizens. Philippians 1 verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, Titus 2 verse 7, 1 Peter 5 verse 3. In terms of a typological view of history, the kingdom of men in the Old Covenant was a type of the New Covenant. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6 verse 11, and the first Adam was a type of the last. Romans 5 verse 14. A great deal of nonsense has been published under the banner of typology. But in spite of this, the fact remains that typology is the fundamental biblical philosophy of history. Typology means that history is under God's control, not man's. It means that the successive stages of world history have meaning, a meaning related to the heavenly pattern and God's purpose to glorify man and the world progressively. In an important study, Jean Danielou has shown that the early church fathers regarded typology as central to their understanding of the scriptures. It enabled them to answer both their Jewish and their Gnostic critics. Against the Jews, typology showed the superiority of the New Covenant over the Old. Against the Gnostics, typology showed that the Old and New Covenants both revealed the same truths. The symbolic and typological approach of the Church Fathers is often confused with allegory, but Daniel Liu shows conclusively that the Fathers were well aware of the difference. The fathers did indeed use the Bible allegorically to express what they intended to be a Christian philosophy. But this trend strictly philosophical is something quite different from typology. It goes back to Philo. In this treatise on paradise, Ambrose, who was much influenced by Philo, writes as follows. Philo confined his attention to the moral sense because his Judaic outlook prevented him from a more spiritual understanding. Spiritual, here denotes the Christological or typological sense while moral implies philosophical allegory. What Ambrose calls the moral sense is therefore something entirely different from typology. Eventually, however, Christian philosophy freed itself from an allegorism which artificially tied it to the Bible and became an independent approach. Herbert Schlossberg has written, All idols belong either to nature or to history. The whole creation falls into these two categories, and there is no other place to which man can turn to find a substitute for God. The biblical, symbolic worldview answers man's idols of nature. Only if we allow nature to point us to the Creator can we avoid idolatry. Just so, the biblical, typological worldview answers man's idols of history. God superintends history so that events of the past shed light on events of the future. The key to unlocking the meaning of history lies in the typological blueprint of heaven, as heaven progressively is impressed upon the earth and as a heavenly man, Jesus Christ is progressively impressed upon his people. Conclusion When we step outside and look up, what do we see? We see the blue sky of day and the black starry sky of night. We see clouds and heavenly fire, lightning. We see rainbows and falling stars. We hear thunder. The Bible tells us that these are not merely natural phenomena. They are pictures of heaven, revelations of God's glory, dimensions of his home. With new eyes, we can see this world also as God's house. The spacious firmament on high, with all the blue ethereal sky, and spangled heavens the shining frame, their great original 
proclaim. The unwearied sun from day to day does his creator's power display and publishes to every land the works of an almighty hand. Soon as the evening shades prevail, the moon takes up the wondrous tale, and nightly too the listening earth repeats the story of her birth. Whilst all the stars that round her burn and all the planets in their turn confirm the tidings as they roll and spread the truth from pole to pole. What though in solemn silence all move round the dark terrestrial ball? What though no real voice nor sound amid their radiant orbs be found? In reason's ear they all rejoice and utter forth a glorious voice, forever singing as they shine, the hand that made us is divine. Joseph Addison The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.